Okay, so we're going to look begin by looking at the focus, the setting, uh, to just set the, the stage or the tone uh, for our study to start this morning. The Apostle Paul wrote Colossians in early in the early AD 60s during his first Roman imprisonment. You know, Paul was a jailbird, right? Yes. Right. So this was during his first Roman imprisonment. Nothing wrong with being a jailbird for Jesus, right? Uh, we, we we see this. We see a reference to this in Colossians chapter three. We're going to look at some words in Colossians, but we see Paul's imprisonment mentioned in Colossians chapter four, uh, verse three. It says, "Pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about His mysterious plan concerning Christ." That is, while I am here in chains. So in Colossians chapter 4, Paul reminds us that he's locked up. He's in chains, in prison. And then verse 18 of chapter 4, he says, Here's my greeting in my own handwriting. Paul, remember my chains. Again, a reference that he's, he's in prison. May God's grace be with you. And so Paul is locked up, he's in prison. The people of the Colossians first heard the gospel from a disciple named Epaphras. When Paul mentioned them uh, in, in, in his letter to the Colossians uh, in uh, chapter 1 and verse 7, he says, You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker, who is Christ's faithful servant. And he is helping us on your behalf. And then in verse 12, of chapter 4 of Colossians, he mentions Epaphras again. He says, Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you, he says in verse 13, uh, that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. And so we have a, we have a, a prayer warrior here in Epaphras and Paul mentions him uh, here. Paul wrote Colossians to do one of, of a number of things and one of them was to counter false teaching that included a mixture of Jewish teachings and Gentile philosophies. He also exalted the Lord Jesus Christ as the preeminent son of God during his writings in Colossians as well, uh, where he talks about the whole fullness of God's nature uh, dwelling in the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, uh, verses 17, 15 to 17, he says, Christ, the invisible image of Christ, the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything else was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. And then verse 17 of chapter 1 of Colossians says, He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Chapter 2 and verse 9 says, in, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. And so he, he exalts the preeminent Lord Jesus Christ as well. And that's the setting that we want to keep in mind 
as we look at these passages that talks about how we are to exalt Christ and how we are to be, what we are to be for Christ in the workplace. So let's then look at the first question. What does that question say? What do you like best about the work you do? Okay, what do you like best? The best thing you like about the work you do? Challenges. Okay, challenges? What kind of challenges? Anything that presents itself that is, um, that presents itself and you don't know the answer right away, but you work through it and you accomplish it. So to me, that's a, it's a good feeling. feeling eh? Yeah. Good feeling when you come to that. Um, Michelle? Uh, I like the, um, it's, my work is varied and I like going to court because I have to think on my feet. <laughs> it's what? I like court because I have to think on my feet. Okay. And you know, you you don't, you, you just have to think on your feet. And I like the way that I have the best lawyer with me when I go to court and when I'm in my workplace. Okay. And the best lawyer with me. Mm. So that I can basically, I like, just call on him for help. Okay. So I have the best lawyer working with me, so he's by my side. I love Very good. What I like about my work, most of all, is when I reflect back on the end result, I can honestly say that it's not me, it's God himself. This year, um, I did two, uh, five projects. I'm the interior architect mm -hmm. for a bike out of Spain and a bike out of Switzerland. Uh, they were very challenging projects, but when I reflect on the end results, I said to myself, it is impossible for this project to have been finished at the level it is through me. It's, it's all by God. All by God. Okay, great. Anybody else? Uh, what I like best about my work is <laughs> no limit to what I can make. I like to have money. And I can get there once I have the wake on my stone. <laughs> okay. And I can help the game. And I can be on my own boss. I can go at any time. You know, and I mm. go and tell me I said that the back I can say use the boss. Boss living. Okay. Yes. Um, That's what the... I like about my work and even then before I retire, meeting deadlines. Okay. You know, when another person comes, they don't have to wait around for their work, it's ready. Mm -hmm. So, it's... Uh, okay. All right, great. Anybody else? Also, uh, the satisfaction you can give uh, someone who um, has gotten a bad report, because working in pathology is always not a good report when you have to give someone bad results. Yeah, yeah. So, mm -hmm. but reassuring them that God is in full control and he is the great physician. Mm -hmm. He is the healer. Okay. Great. All right, let's look at uh, Bible meets life then and see what that says to us. The Bible meets life. <clears throat> what do you want to be when you grow up? It's a question all of us were asked as kids. And we responded with things like, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a ballerina. It's interesting to think about that question in more depth. When we ask it of others, 
We're typically talking about the work someone wants to do, what career they want to pursue. Yet, we phrase the question by asking what a person wants to be. Hear the difference. It's easy for our identity to get wrapped up in what we do, especially if we love our work. But what happens to our identity at the end of the workday, when we come to retirement, or if we lose our job? If we define our identity by our work, these transitions can become debilitating. The good news is that we're far more than what we do for a living. For Christians, our identity is, is, our identity is defined not by who we are, but by whose we are. Our identity is wrapped up in Christ, and that identity makes all the difference in our work. Okay. What's the point? Your work is reflection of your relationship with Christ. That's right. Your work is a reflection of relationship. your relationship with Christ. Now that's that's something to think about. That's deep. All right, because however way you act during the course of your work, your 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 work week. You are saying to others what kind of relationship you have with Jesus Christ. And that's, that's a sobering thought, something to really think about. And it's also a means of impacting others for the kingdom. Because a person can see, if they can see something about your relationship with Christ through your work, uh, you could be admired for that and they may truly want to build, you know, how can I have what you have? Right? So, it's a sovereign thought, something to think about. Let's look at the first passage we have on uh, page 107. Uh, uh, just one verse, that's uh, verse 22 of Colossians 3. Obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched, as people pleases, but work wholeheartedly, bearing the Lord. Okay, let's read the passages beneath that, the paragraphs beneath that. Since our identity isn't found in what we do, but in whom we serve, God's focus isn't on what we do, it's on how we do it. The Apostle Paul addressed this by writing to those working to serve another person. Slavery has been an ugly and evil part of human history. Yet in Paul's day, slavery wasn't seen as a form of abuse. It was simply one way many people found work. Slaves frequently were highly skilled workers or artists. In some cases, they were far more educated than their masters. None of this is meant to excuse the practice of slavery but simply to point out that slavery in Rome world was very different from which occurs in America leading up to the Civil War. Of course, many slaves in Paul's day hated their conditions and wanted freedom. Paul wasn't opposed to freeing slaves, nor to slaves working to become free. He simply remained focused on the mission he had been given. He wrote elsewhere, 
being called by a slave, don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. Paul wanted slaves to wait not for their masters, but for Jesus. He understood that a slave's identity was founded not in his position as a slave, but in his opinion his position. of position with Christ. Slaves were free in Christ. Thus, they were free to turn Jesus with all their hearts. They could demonstrate that service to Jesus by serving their masters for integrity and faithfulness. Workers today aren't slaves. We are bosses instead of masters, but we still work to please Jesus. Therefore, we are called to work wholeheartedly and with obedience, integrity, and dependability. Okay. So uh, we have some insights there on slaves and masters. Uh, there's some other thoughts here on that that we want to highlight. Uh, and that is that uh, slaves in the ancient world had few, if, if any, rights at all. Uh, their purpose in life was, uh, their purpose in life lay in completing the will and the purpose and the agendas of their human masters. Because of this, some interpreters have argued that many slaves in the ancient world were lazy doing as little as they could possibly do because they hated being slaves and they hated the boss and they hated the master and so on and so forth. After all, slaves might reason that they had little to gain since they were only serving those over whom uh, without expectation of any reward or personal advancement. However, Paul countered what may, be, may have been the prevailing mood of instructing slaves to obeying your human masters in everything. Notice this, obey your human masters in everything. Don't be selective, in everything. The word translated masters is literally the word lords. That's a small capital L, small L. The same word used of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word carried the notion of authority, whether little or much. The jailer, and Philippi recognized the power of God in Paul and Silas and addressed them with this term uh, in Acts chapter 16 and verse 30 when he used the term sirs. He was referring to them as lords. Paul also used it to describe the exalted rank of the Lord Jesus Christ as recorded in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and Philippians 2.11. John took the image even further applying the title Lord of Lords to Jesus at his second coming. And we see a reference to that in, in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16. But let's look at uh, one phrase that is highlighted here in the passage that we read. Uh, it says, Paul wanted slaves not to work to work not for their masters, but for who? Jesus. But for Jesus. Look beyond your masters. Mm -hmm. You're working for Jesus. Regardless of how your, your masters treated you, 
in our, in our day and time, regardless of how the boss treats you, mm-hmm. work as if you're working for Jesus. And there's a verse that, that tells us about that, right? Mm-hmm. What does it say? Mm-hmm. Whatever you do, do as unto the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. And then there are other verses that speak about how we are to do our work, whatever we do as unto the Lord and not unto men. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the paragraph goes on, he understood that slave, uh, slave's identity was founded not in his position as a slave, but in his position with Christ. And that should be something that elevates us when the boss treats you out on the job, right? <laughs> or unfairly, let's put it in. You treat unfairly on the job. <laughs> Slaves are free in Christ. Thus, they were free to serve Jesus with all their hearts. They, continue, they could demonstrate that service to Jesus by serving their masters with integrity and faithfulness. Workers today aren't slaves. We are, uh, we are bosses instead of masters. But we still want to please who? Jesus. Jesus, right? Especially if we believe that Jesus got us the job we have. He did. If you credit Jesus with giving you the job that you have, yes. then you would really want to please him, right? Because he could always change that. Right? He could change that, right? He's the boss. He's the bigger boss. Brother Randy, speaking about that, many of you who get this school here, in our history, it was taught that during slavery, there were many of the family islands who had slaves to run the freight boats from mm-hmm. the islands into Nassau mm-hmm. the supplies. And to back this up, there was missionaries who used to come from the United Kingdom or from Europe to come to the West Indies to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. And many of the missionaries said they would rather be a slave into the Bahamas, then is to be a free man through the Caribbean. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that is a lot to be said about those, should I say, the owners of slaves, that they give these men responsibilities to bring supplies from Nassau into their family islands. And it just wasn't one island, it was through 90% of the islands. Mm. So the real slave masters used to stay home and send their slaves out. I mean, of course, the ship was owned by slave masters and they had the slaves to run the ships and they'd go and come as they pleased. So mm. by speaking that, it was um, also done here in the Bahamas. And you'll find that in the history books. In the history books, yeah. yeah. Okay. So he says, uh, he says, therefore, we are called to work how wholeheartedly, that is, put your whole heart into it, mm-hmm. with obedience, mm-hmm. integrity, mm-hmm. and dependability. You know, one of the things I found out when I, when, I, when, I, when I went to work where I'm working was when they were looking for somebody to do the job they call the office of Calvary Bible Church. That was interesting. Why? Yeah, why? Why? Well, do you think they were looking for some particular kind of person? Yeah. Yes. Honest. 
But I, I mean, I, when I, while I was going through, while I was going through the records or some paperwork and stuff, I found out that the person who worked there before was from Gal Revival Church. Oh. It was another young man, right? And uh, uh, so they figured, uh, since this young man left, uh, we're going to go back to Cal Revival Church to see if we can find somebody like him. Yeah. All right? I believe that's probably what it is, integrity. Because the people, are, they, they entrust everything to you. I mean, they don't, I mean, they, they, they entrust, they're they very trusting people. They entrust their entire lives to you. I mean, everything. They don't, they don't have no secrets. Huh? They're not Christians. You said it was They're not Christians. They are, they are, they're into Catholicism. Okay. Right? Very, very religious people, but they're not saved. Now, um, I don't know, they could be saved because their best friend, the person who actually put them on the Calvary Bible Church is a pastor of Christ Community Church. He's also a good friend of theirs, a very good friend, and also a client. All right, so I believe he, I don't know, I hope that he has been, uh, you know, ministering to them, witnessing to them, because they're very, very close. And he's a pastor at, at, at the church. He and his wife are pretty involved with the church. So I'm hoping that, you know, because I, I found that some people who are into Catholicism, sometimes they would accept the Lord Jesus Christ, but they would not let go of Catholicism. Yeah, I don't understand that. You know, they, they, they would go to a service and they would respond to altar call, accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Uh, and then they continue going to their, their, their Catholic church or their Anglican church or wherever. But you're right? praying to Mary and things like that. Yeah, praying to Mary. Yeah. All right, but the whole point of this passage is, therefore, we are, we are called to work wholeheartedly and with obedience, integrity, and dependability. That's how we demonstrate uh, life at work in Christ. Question number two. How would you describe a biblical approach to work? Trustworthiness. Trustworthiness, okay. Integrity. Those words that were mentioned previously yeah, dependability. there. Dependability. Uh, honesty. Honesty, integrity, dependability. We saw that in, 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 the, in that previous passage. What else? A biblical approach to work. As um, Shakespeare said, be true unto thine own self. But thou be true unto thine own self. No man can be false unto thee. <laughs> okay. All right, as we move on, boy, this time is going here. As we move to verses 23, 25, we'll see Paul continuing to emphasize how we work, not just what we do. He emphasizes how we work, not just what we do. So let's look at that, that uh, verse on page 108, uh, verses 23 to 25. Whatever you do, do it from the heart, as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Do you remember the excitement of getting your first job? Most of us were thrilled when we landed our first real full-time job. Over time, though, that excitement, enthusiasm, can morph into a, into a daily grind, maybe even into boredom or drudgery. So how do we maintain enthusiasm? I'll admit it. Some jobs are, some jobs are just plain boring. 
But that doesn't mean our attitude has to match our circumstances. Paul told us, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. A heart centered on Christ makes all the difference. In the early years of planning a church, I had to take an additional job to support my family. I was thrilled when a local private school hired me as a teacher, but two months into working, they told me the salary they had offered me was incorrect. They had made a mistake and they would have to reduce my pay. My family was on a tight budget and I wasn't happy. I couldn't afford to quit. So I finished the school year, but with a terrible attitude. When I resigned at the end of the year, I wrote a scathy letter, scathing scathing letter. Mm. Years later, I was convinced about my bad attitude. Convicted. Oh, sorry. Years later, I was convicted about my bad attitude. I made an appointment to go to the school and apologize to those who have worked with me. What changed? My motivation was different. No matter what I do, and no matter what you do, we're to do it enthusiastically since we're really doing it for Christ. Okay, go on to the next page, uh, 110. Paul mentioned several things that can fuel our enthusiasm for work, including the following. Christ's reward. Knowing that you receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, this surely appealed to the slaves who had no reward or, competition or compensation in this life. Christ's Lordship. You serve the Lord Christ. The sovereign Lord who loves us deeply is the one we truly serve. Christ's justice. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. God will reward obedience and will justly deal with the disobedience. Who I am in Christ, my identity in him, is seen by all when I do my work enthusiastically for him. Okay, a couple of things we noticed there. Uh, uh, that's bullet pointed there in that verse. Paul mentioned several things that can fuel our enthusiasm for work. And they include those three last things mentioned there. Christ's reward, knowing that you receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. This surely appealed to slaves who had no reward or compensation in this life. All right, and we're going to hear we're going to hear about the rewards of heaven in the sermon today, right, Mr. Beth? Okay, so we'll get a, a, a double boost there in that in terms of Christ's reward, and then Christ's lordship. You serve the Lord Christ, the sovereign Lord who loves us deeply, is the one we truly serve. Okay, so when on the job something happens that you don't like, look beyond the boss to the Lord Jesus Christ, his Lordship, and, uh, and find solace in that. And, and that may be difficult sometimes, but you can. And then Christ's justice, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done. And there's no favoritism. God will reward obedience and will justly deal with disobedience. Okay, so we can count on Christ's justice prevailing. It always does. Question number four. What are some practical ways you can honor Christ in the workplace in your workplace? Be nice and courteous people. Okay, be nice and courteous. Okay. Attitude. Alright, what else? Faithful. Faithful. Alright. 
patient. Patient. Are you trying to help people? You don't. You're not rushing through. Mm -hmm. You know they have a problem. Okay, you don't want to give Jesus a bad name, right? All right, because what's going to happen? You you behave bad, or you give somebody a, you know a, a bad attitude. You know what they're going to say? Boy, all your Christians just alike. Yeah. You know, all Christians get branded. You get painted. All all Christians get made with the same brush. All right. So that's why we it's so important on how we act in the workplace in the honor of Christ. As we conclude with verses uh, verse one of chapter four, we'll get an important reminder about masters and the presence of our master. So let's look at that last verse there. Just one verse. Masters, a master, a deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Okay, so green thought, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Read the verses beneath that. Okay. I've been the employee many times in many working in my working career, and I've been the boss. Both roles have been have, sorry. Both roles have their benefits and both have their challenges. Being the boss, supervisor, or employer generally means more responsibility as well as more pay. Historically, those with the better positions and better paychecks also get better treatment. Even today in America, we are aware of CEOs and corporate big dogs in the news who seem to get better deals in the judicial system than those who are poor or who have less influence. 2,000 years ago, slaves had virtually no rights, while masters had almost every right. Most clerical work and manual work was performed by slaves, and 80% of industry and retail work was carried out by slaves. As noted earlier, many slaves were treated well, but not at Many slaves were treated well, but not all. Many slaves were considered inanimate, inanimate, inanimate objects, uh, which means the masters were usually allowed to do whatever they wanted with them and to them. In this passage, however, Paul commanded Christian masters to do as Jesus did. Even masters had, even masters have a master in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ and he would hold them accountable for how they treated their slaves. Culture may favor the boss and with the power, more pay and greater influence, but when we stand before God, he won't play favorites. Mm -hmm. When Jesus spoke about judging others and our treatment of them, he said, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others and you will be measured by the same measure you measure, Matthew 7 and 2. Those are critically, those are critical practical words. We should be mindful of looking harshly on others, lest God use the same harsh standard on us when we face his judgment. On the London subway, every time you enter and exit the subway, you hear the words, mind the gap, remember that. Mm. Americans would say, "Watch your step." They say that they say that because there is a gap between the train and the platform. If you don't mind the gap, you could fall in. In a similar way, disciples of Jesus should mind the gap. We're often tempted to create 
to create between others and ourselves. As Christians are called to do what's right for others, to treat them justly and fairly, just as Jesus so faithfully does when that's right for us, does what's right for us. Let's never lose sight of the value and importance of the people who work with us and for us. Let's see them as Jesus sees them, and let's treat them accordingly each day. Okay, sobering words. Question number five. Why is it important to treat all people the way our master treats us? What you do is come back to that's right, we got a master in heaven who's going to deal with how you treat others on earth. So you're going to have to be accountable. There's an activity there. Uh, select the image that best represents your emotions when it's time to start working today. <laughs> Which one of those images reflect you at the beginning of each work day? Well, you don't have to answer publicly, but that's a, a sobering thought right there. Yeah. All right, a couple of things that uh, was mentioned in the, in the previous passage, and that is uh, 2,000 years ago, slaves had virtually no rights, while masters had almost every right. That kind of happens today, too, right? Yes. Okay, so that's not just 2,000 years ago, that's also current. The man who keeps busy helping the man below. Below him, you don't have time to envy the man above him. Yeah, that's yeah, that's Henrietta. Henrietta is good, good advice. Okay, um, the other point we mentioned in that passage is, in this passage, Paul commanded Christian masters to do as Jesus would do. Even masters had a master in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he would hold them accountable for how they treated their slaves. And then the third point we, we notice in that paragraph is, Let's never lose sight of the value and importance of the people who work with us and for us. Let's see them as Jesus sees them, and let's treat them accordingly each day. Okay, let's look at what we're going to do now to apply this as we go forth. Uh, consider the following suggestions as we try to reflect our relationship with Christ this week in the workplace. Be positive. Employees often speak disparagingly about their employers and companies. Choose to stand out in your workplace by being consistently positive in your speech. So when you hear people talking bad about the boss, you be the opposite, you be the contrary. All right? Encourage. Take a step to encourage someone you work with this week. Be open and direct about your desire to offer support, as an act of obedience to Christ. And then finally pray. Think of a person who is conf confrontational or difficult to work with. I think every job has one of those. Pray for that person each day. Some opportunities will be a witness for the love of grace, love and grace of Christ as you work. And so we can be a witness for that individual. There are many of us who still don't know what we want to be. 
when we grow up. But all of us will need to work, even as we seek our dreams. Therefore, all of us have the opportunity to reflect Christ and the values of his kingdom in the work that we do. Amen? Amen.